Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Things have been flown. We don't know the time. We have our time to live for Christ, to serve Him, to proclaim His Word, to seek to do justice and mercy in case the Lord doesn't come back as soon as we think and our kids and grandkids have to live in the world that we leave to them. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Amos chapters 1 through 5. Now here's Pastor Brian. I'm your father, and you are my rebellious child, and I am going to discipline you for that rebellion. Do two walk together, or can two walk together unless they are agreed? So the problem is they're, they're not in agreement. They're, they're resisting. They're claiming to walk with God, but they're resisting doing his will. Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down to a trap on the ground when no bait is there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has caught, not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So Amos is here claiming um, as the prophet of God that God has revealed to him these things that are coming. Now, as is so often the case, when the prophets began to prophesy, there was no external evidence that any of this was going to happen. So if this is... 767 50 BC and the Assyrians finally come and conquer them in uh, you know 40 30 to 40 years later I mean you know just think of here we are right now if if somebody stood up and started you know predicting that you know this nation was going to come and and this was going to happen and here we're living in prosperity and we're living in the height of luxury and people are going to say but what are you talking about that's a joke. That's never going to happen. That, that was exactly what they were saying to Amos. Where's the evidence? Amos is saying, the Lord has revealed it to his prophets. The evidence is that God has, has told us and you know, this would be the case with almost every single prophet. They would be rejected and disbelieved by the people, but their words would come true. Each and every one of their words would come true. Now, surely the Lord does nothing without revealing it to 
his servants, the prophets. Some have taken this and claimed that we can accurately predict the future because, hey, I'm a, I'm a prophet. I'm a servant of the Lord. God's shown me uh, what's going to happen. And so they, they put out these prophetic words and they predict that at such and such a time, this kind of a thing is going to go on. Um, but we have seen that that never really ends well. There was a book that was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. <laughs> and the claim of the author was, the Lord has revealed this. I'm a prophet. Surely the Lord will do nothing unless he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. So we're long past 1988, but there's still plenty of people around saying similar kinds of things. You know, somebody said to me the other day, they said, just kind of passing conversation, but they said, you know, the Lord is coming soon. And, you know, like, respond, Brian. (laughs) You know, affirm this. And I said, well, you know, soon is a relative term. You know, what does that mean? John in the book of Revelation said the Lord is coming soon. God has a kind of a different idea of time than we do. And I mean, the, in, the, in the larger scope of things, yes, I, I, I believe the Lord is coming soon. I believe he's, I believe we're the closest to the return of the Lord that we've ever been. But since we don't have a date, we just don't know how close we are. And I mean, I do think that there are many things in the world that, in my understanding of scripture, it it does seem to me like, yeah, we we are getting close. But how close? I, I don't know. And you know what? I'm going to let you in on a secret. No one else knows either. Everybody's guessing. And some people are guessing better because they're using better criteria to determine. Some people are just, you know, kind of making it up as they go. So again, and we talked about this, of course, when we were going through the book of Daniel. I think it's good to be looking at the world through the lens of Scripture it's important to, to recognize that there are things that are happening in the world that are definitely, to some degree, a fulfillment of Scripture. But how long all of this is going to go on, that's the thing we don't know. And, and what does seem to happen is things seem to ebb and flow you get to a point where it looks so close. I mean, just think if you live during the time, just think if you were a European living during the Second World War. I mean, you can't blame a single person for not, uh, or you can't blame a single person for uh, 
for thinking that this must be the end of the world. This must be the things that the Bible talked about. You know, Mussolini, a perfect fit for this Roman ruler, this dictator who's Antichrist. And then Hitler, and then Hitler's uh, obsession with destroying the Jewish people. I mean, all of this would have seemed, easily seemed to so many, that this must be it. But it wasn't. And who would have even dreamed after the devastation of Europe that there would be a rebuilding of society, that there would be life as usual again, that there would actually be Jews that would move from all around the world back into places in Europe and settle, and that there would be the gospel that would go out in fresh new ways. Or think of the Soviet Union and think of the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I remember, I remember years ago in my office, like I do today, I always have a world map in my office. And, and I remember back in the days, back in the 80s, the early 80s, I remember as you looked at the map and as you prayed over the map of the world, there was the USSR. And man, that was like the closed door. And in the early 1980s, I could have never imagined that by the end of that decade, we would actually be going to the USSR, the former USSR, with the gospel. I never would have dreamed it. I never would have imagined it. And it was all crystal clear that Ezekiel 38 and 39 and... Gog and Magog, and it was all set, it seemed. And then everything just kind of changed. And then the Islamic thing arose. Nobody expected that. Then everybody reinterpreted their perspective. And, oh, I guess the Antichrist is not coming out of Europe. I guess he's he's a a Muslim. He's going to come out of the Islamic empire. So I'm just saying all of this to say that things ebb and flow. We don't know the time. We have our time to live for Christ, to serve him, to proclaim his word, to seek to do justice and mercy in case the Lord doesn't come back as soon as we think and our kids and grandkids have to live in the world that we leave to them. And then we have to just leave a lot of it to the Lord. And the claim of Amos, this all goes back to the claim of Amos. Surely the Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That was very specifically for those prophets at that time. My point is, I don't think there's anyone in the category that Amos is describing today that we're ever going to be able to look to and they're going to say, uh, this is what's going to happen in the future. The only place you're going to get that is right here in the biblical text. And again, the challenge in the biblical text is we just don't know the details and we probably won't know them until they're actually unfolding. And then we'll go, oh my gosh, that's what that was about. So don't get 
taken captive by the one who comes along and says, I'm a prophet and God's revealed his plan to me and let me tell you what's happening because it just is not, it doesn't work that way. So going on, he is addressing here Ashdod, which is Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod. Those are the the ancient Philistine cities uh, speaking about the fortress of Egypt and going on. The Lord, I want to pick up in verse 13 here where the prophet says, hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob. One day I will punish Israel for her sins. I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. Now, now Bethel, Bethel is a, a place in Scripture where God meets, originally God meets his people. Uh, Abraham, he meets Jacob in Bethel in an extraordinary way. When Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau, and remember there's that point where he comes to a location and he, he uses the rock for a pillow. And he lies down and he has that vision of the Lord descending, uh, the angels of the Lord descending and ascending on, on this ladder. And Jacob wakes up and he says, I did not, the Lord is here and I didn't know it. And he names the place Bethel, the house of God. And so it, it has a sacred element to it because of that in the history. But later on in the history, Bethel becomes a place of idolatry and a stumbling block because Jeroboam I, that we mentioned earlier, when the kingdom was divided between the north and the south, and God gives the southern kingdom to the descendants of Solomon, but he gives the northern kingdom, he gives the northern kingdom to this man, Jeroboam. God gives it to him. But then Jeroboam, not trusting God, he's fearful because the center of worship, everything is still in Jerusalem. He says, well, if if people go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, they're gonna defect from me and they're gonna go follow the kings of Judah. And we can't let that happen. And so what he does is he builds two altars and he makes two golden calves. He builds one in an altar in Dan in the northern part. And then he builds an altar in Bethel and he erects these golden calves. And he says, Israel, this is the place to worship. And he sets up a priesthood that has nothing to do with the Levitical priesthood. He just picks anyone and everyone who wants to be a priest. And he creates an alternative system to the true worship of Yahweh that has been established by God through Moses and Aaron and now resides in Jerusalem. And Bethel is the place where they set up the priesthood, they offer the sacrifices, and it's a place where they have this this golden calf. So that's why when Amos is talking about the judgment that's going to come, Bethel he refers to Bethel over and over again. It's for, it's for this reason. This is one of the reasons why God is going to bring a 
a total judgment on the nation because they never turn away from this sin. They perpetuate it all the way through. And just like the kings of Judah are identified by their likeness to David, you know, have you ever read through like say Chronicles or even the Kings? And it'll talk about one of the kings of Judah and it'll say, and he was like his father, David, or he wasn't like his father, David. In the North, the comparison was often to Jeroboam and it was always negative. And he followed in the steps of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So he becomes the example of the thing not to do. So on that day, I will punish Israel for her sins. I will destroy the altars of Bethel. Now, moving on to chapter four. Hear the word of the Lord, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Wow. So this is the opulence that they're living in. This is the, the overflow of, of wealth and, and all of that that's happened. So these are the leaders of the nation in Samaria. These are the wives of the politicians, basically, what's being described here. And they are oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. And so the Lord goes on, and then once again, verse four, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Now, the crazy thing is they still thought, they thought going to Bethel, it was okay. They had convinced themselves that this was legitimate. So when they were getting in trouble, they'd go to Bethel. Oh, God, help us. The whole system is a false system, but they're still going to that. So God says, go to Bethel, but know this. When you're going to Bethel, you're sinning. (laughs) There's no help in Bethel. That is not anything that God acknowledged or accepted as legitimate. And, And then as we move on, He's speaking about judgment, verse six. I gave you empty stomachs in every city, lack of bread in every town. And then verse seven, I withheld rain from you. I sent rain on one town and withheld it from another. People staggered from town to town for water. The point, as we often have seen in our study of the prophets, is even though God would chasten them, they would not turn back to him. So God's saying, I I did all of these things to try to get your attention, but nevertheless, they carried on in their sin. And so verse 12, therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. Because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Wow. Prepare to meet your God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, said the author of Hebrews. And of course, he's saying that to those who are hypocrites, those who are resisting God while pretending to be worshiping or following him. And so prepare to meet your God. This is a frightening 
encounter that he's referring to. He who forms the mountains, who created the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, or another translation is who who knows the thoughts of mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. And so often again, the prophets will, in seeking to turn the people's hearts, they will appeal to them on the basis of who God is. Remember, there's a passage in Jeremiah where Jeremiah is speaking, the Lord's speaking to Jeremiah, and he says, don't you fear me? Don't you know that I'm the one who puts the boundary on the sea? I'm the one who says to the waves, stop there and go no further. And, and oftentimes there's, there are these appeals to who God is, what his power is like by looking at creation, by looking at uh, different aspects of nature. And he creates the wind and he forms the mountains. And so same thing here. Now, chapter five, hear this word, Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will have only a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will have only 10 left. This is what the Lord says to Israel, seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Gilgal was another location where there was a history with God encountering the people, but they had turned it once again into something else. So verse six, seek the Lord and live. And then down in verse eight, he says this, once again, appealing to God as a creator. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls to the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. So look at these constellations. Look at these these clusters of stars. And remember, God is the one who set them in their place in the heavens. And then he says that he's the one who calls for the waters of the sea. This is what is called, and I'll talk about this more next week because it's repeated later, Um, but this is uh, the water cycle or the hydraulic cycle. Um, So this is one of those things that nobody knew this at the time. Nobody would know this for a couple thousand years. But Amos knows it. How does Amos know this? Well, Amos is a prophet. For the month of January, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 
40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. For many, the new year brings with it new resolutions for change and the prospect for achieving previously unattained goals. But when the routines of life resume, resolutions rarely last beyond even the first few months of the year. The intent of becoming a better version of ourselves usually ends in failure. But if you're a Christian, you have the ultimate hope. Grace has the power to do what nothing else, not even resolutions, can do. Grace has the power to rescue you from you. Grace has the power to restore you to what God created you to be. Only God's grace has the power to produce lasting change within your life. In his book, 40 Days of Grace, Paul David Tripp provides powerful vignettes on the transforming power of God's grace. That is, the grace of God in the person of Jesus, who alone produces authentic, lasting change. This year, rather than resolutions, learn deeply about the transforming power of the grace of God. The book 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Amos. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.